Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your many mercies to us, and we thank you for the way that you are merciful to us in continuing to speak to us by your word. Lord, we pray that you would have a, ha, help us to have ears to listen this morning so that what we hear from your word may touch our hearts and so that we may live more fully for your glory. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I encourage you to open your book, uh, Bibles to the book of Hosea, uh, and that can be found on page 891. We're up to Hosea chapter 4, page 891 of the Black Church Bibles. And we've been going through this book of Hosea. We've had two sermons on it so far. And we've seen that Hosea is a prophet uh, during the reigns of the kings of Israel and Judah. And he has been speaking about Israel's unfaithfulness. And the first sermon that we had from Hosea chapter 1 encouraged us to consider that sin is quite shocking. It is as shocking as an act of adultery. Every time we sin against the Lord, we're actually committing adultery against our groom, who is God. But last week, we also saw the great love of God. So we saw that our sin is shocking to him. But in chapter 2 and chapter 3, we also saw the love of God, that God takes us back as his wife despite our sinfulness, despite our unfaithfulness to him. And Hosea's life is meant to be a metaphor as to the relationship of God with his bride, the church. And so Hosea himself is asked to do something that is quite shocking, and that is to marry a wife of unfaithfulness, someone who would cheat on him. And then Hosea, in chapter 3, was told to go back to this wife despite her adultery, despite having children to other men. He is to welcome her back into his life. And so Hosea performs this wonderful act of love to go marry his wife, just as God has performed this wonderful act of love towards his bride in welcoming her back into his arms despite their sin. And so this morning we continue working through Hosea and we're going to leave Hosea himself from now on. There is no longer any more narrative about Hosea and his wife Gomer, but instead the Lord is going to, through the prophet Hosea, expand on the subjects that he's been speaking of. And this morning in Hosea chapter 4 and 5, we're going to see specific charges that God makes against the people of Israel, against the Israelites. He's going to make particular charges to them and then speak about the judgment that he is going to bring upon them because of their sin. And so we see this opening uh, of chapter 4, we see the charges that God lays against the Israelites. And so I encourage you once again, open your Bibles up to page 891 to Hosea chapter 4, and we see in verses 1 to 3 specific charges brought against the Israelites. Hosea chapter 4, verse 1, we read, Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying and murder, stealing and adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of this, the land mourns and all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea are dying. So you see the specific charges given here, particularly in verse 2, where he outlines different acts of sin that the people are committing. There is cursing, there is lying, there is murder, there is stealing, there is adultery. 
So many of the Ten Commandments wrapped up in just that one verse, that the Israelites are breaking the commandments that God gave his people. And then he goes on and speaks about how even the prophets and the priests are breaking God's law. These people who are meant to be leaders of God's people, who are meant to be the ones who are examples of how to follow God's law, are also breaking his law. And we see that in verses 4 through to 9. It says in verse 4 of Hosea chapter 4, But let no man bring a charge. Let no man accuse another. For your people are like those who bring charges against a priest. You stumble day and night, and the prophets stumble with you. So I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priests. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I also will ignore your children. The more the priests increased, the more they sinned against me. They exchanged their glory for something disgraceful. They feed on the sins of my people and relish their wickedness. And it will be like people, like priests. I will punish both of them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. See what he's doing in verse 4 through to 9. He's isolating out the priests and the prophets and saying, you're just as bad as the people. In fact, you like the people sinning. You feed on their sins. And so that terrible indictment against him in verse 9, he says, And it will be like people, like priests. I will punish both of them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. And then he goes on to speak of further sins, atrocious sins that the people are committing in Israel. And that follows in verses 10 through to 19, where he speaks about the prostitution and, and idolatry that the people are committing. Verse 10 of Hosea 4, look with me now. It says, They will eat, but not have enough. They will engage in prostitution but not increase because they have deserted the Lord and given themselves to prostitution, to old wine and new, which take away the understanding of my people. They consult a wooden idol and are answered by a stick of wood. A spirit of prostitution leads them astray. They're unfaithful to their God. They sacrifice on the mountaintops and burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar and terebinth where the shade is pleasant. Therefore your daughters turn to prostitution and your daughters-in-law to adultery. See what he's doing? Isolating out prostitution and idol worship as the sins that Israel is committing. And he goes on to continue on this theme. He says in verse 14, I will not punish your daughters when they turn to prostitution, nor your daughters-in-law when they commit adultery, because the men themselves consort with harlots and sacrifice with shrine prostitutes. A people without understanding will come to ruin. Though you commit adultery, O Israel... Let not Judah become guilty. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not go up to Beth-Avon. And do not swear as surely as the Lord lives. The Israelites are stubborn, like a stubborn heifer. How then can the Lord pasture them? Like lambs in a meadow, Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. Even when their drinks are gone, they continue their prostitution. Their rulers dearly love shameful ways. A whirlwind will sweep them away and their sacrifices will bring them shame. Again and again here, the Lord is saying, the sins that you are committing are atrocious. The sins of prostitution and the sins of idol worship, which often went together. You would go and worship a pagan god, and they would have temple prostitutes there, and you'd engage in sex with them, and it was meant to encourage the gods to be uh, propitious towards you, that they would actually uh, propagate and bless the lives of the Israelites, that just as you were procreating, the gods would procreate in the land as well and send rain and send plentiful harvests. And that's what the Israelites were doing. 
And then God goes on in chapter 5 to speak about the judgment that he will bring upon the land for their wicked ways. And we read this in chapter 5, verse 1, page 892. Chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Hear this, you priests. Pay attention, you Israelites. Listen, O royal house. This judgment is against you. You have been a snare at Mitzpah, a net spread out on Tabor. The rebels are deep in slaughter. I will discipline all of them. I know all about Ephraim. Israel is not hidden from me. Ephraim, you have now turned to prostitution. Israel is corrupt. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. A spirit of prostitution is in their heart. They do not acknowledge the Lord. Israel's arrogance testifies against them. The Israelites, even Ephraim, stumble in their sin. Judah also stumbles with them. When they go with their flocks and herds to seek the Lord, they will not find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. They are unfaithful to the Lord. They, will, they give birth to illegitimate children. Now their new moon festivals will devour them and their fields. So the theme in chapter 5 is speaking of one of judgment, that the people will be judged by God. And one of the great judgments that God warns them will come to them is the withdrawal of himself. They will seek him but will not find him, which is the worst of all judgments where God withdraws his affection. And when you seek him, he's not even there for you to find And then he goes on to speak of other ways that the judgment will come, not just by his withdrawal, but the way that his withdrawal will come is that he will come with war against the people of Israel. And that's given to us in verses 8 to 11. Verse 8 of Hosea chapter 5, we read, Sound the trumpet in Gibeah, the horn in Ramah. Raise the battle cry in Beth-Avon. Lead on, O Benjamin. Ephraim will be laid waste on the day of reckoning. Among the tribes of Israel, I proclaim what is certain. Judah's leaders are like those who move boundary stones. I will pour out my wrath on them like a flood of water. Ephraim is oppressed, trampled in judgment, intent on pursuing idols. There's a trumpet to be sound, the horn is to be sounded in, in Israel, and that signifies a foreign army that will invade. And the first army to come through was the Assyrian army and decimated the people of Israel. And then later on, of course, in Israelite history, we see the Babylonians came and destroyed much more of Israel as well, destroyed Judah. And so God warns that he will judge them as an army. He will bring war upon them. And also that he will bring judgment upon them like a moth and like rot to them. Verse 12 says, I am like a moth to Ephraim, like rot to the people of Judah. Moths are associated with destruction. Uh, They destroy, if they get into your clothing, they can eat holes there, and they germinate, and they breed, and before you know it, and if they get into your food, you have these moths there, and they're eating what is yours. And that is what God is going to do to Ephraim. He's going to be like a moth to them. He's going to the people of Israel. He's going to eat away at the goodness that is there. Or like rot, it says in verse 12 as well. Rotting away, decay happening to the people of Israel. And then we also see that the way he will bring judgment will be as one as like a lion in verses 13 to 15. It says in verse 13, When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his sores, then Ephraim turned to Assyria and sent to the great king for help. But he is not able to cure you, not able to heal your sores. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim, like a great lion to Judah. I will tear them to pieces and go away. I will carry them off with no one to rescue them. 
then I will go back to my place until they admit their guilt and they will seek my face in their misery. They will earnestly seek me. So there's these different images given for the Israelites to understand how terrible the wrath of God will be. He'll be like a moth. He'll be like rot. He'll be like a lion that comes and tears apart the nation of Israel. Now, why has all this happened to Israel? What is the root problem that they are that they have been committing so that then they engage in these terrible sins of prostitution, of idol worship. Why are they then facing God's judgment? What is wrong with the Israelite people? What have they been doing? What have they been doing towards God that has brought such judgment upon them? Well, the answer is that they have been ignorant of God, that they have not been seeking knowledge of God as they should. And that is given to us in verse 1. In verse 1 of Hosea chapter 4, chapter 4 verse 1, we see the main charge against the Israelites. Yes, there are many sins that are listed further on, but the main charge comes in verse 1. It says in verse 1 of Hosea chapter 4, Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. What's the charge? There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. This is telling us that the problem with the people of Israel is their ignorance of him. It says there is no acknowledgement of God. The other way that you could translate this uh, is that they they do not know God. It's not just an acknowledgement, that they do not know know God. And the other way that you could translate the the faithfulness, there is no faithfulness in in, in in the people of Israel, in the land, is by the word truth. The word faithfulness can also be translated as truth. And so here we see that there is very plain at the very beginning of this chapter that the problem with the Israelites is they don't know the truth about God. They don't have knowledge of God. And, of course, that means that the the middle charge there, there's three charges there in verse uh, verse 1 of chapter 4, there is no faithfulness, no truth, no love, no acknowledgement of God. They lack truth, they lack knowledge of God, and that has led to a lack of love towards God which is natural. You don't love what you don't know. If you don't know something, then you don't love that person or thing that it is. And this is a repeated theme throughout these uh, these two chapters, the lack of knowledge of God. If you look at verse 5, where God is speaking about the prophets and priests, it says in verse 5 and 6, it says, You stumble day and night, and the prophets, the ones who are meant to know of God, they stumble with you. So I will destroy your mother My people are destroyed. What from? Why are they destroyed? From a lack of knowledge. They don't know God. That is their problem. They have a lack of knowledge of God. And then in verse 14 of chapter 4, it says, I will not punish your daughters when they turn to prostitution, nor your daughters-in-law when they commit adultery, because the men themselves consort with harlots and sacrifice with shrine prostitutes. But what's the real problem? End of verse 14 says, A people without understanding will come to ruin. What is their problem? They don't understand God. They don't know of God and they don't know how terrible their prostitution is and their worship of false gods. And then turn with me to chapter 5, verse 4. Chapter 5, verse 4. What is the problem with the Israelites? 
Well, yes, the prostitution is there again prominent, but what is also in verse 4? It says, Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. A spirit of prostitution is in their heart. They do not acknowledge, or the way you could translate it is, no, they do not know the Lord. That is their problem. They do not know God. If they knew God, then they wouldn't engage in the sin that they've been so easily running off in, and they wouldn't be facing the wrath of God. The problem is... Ignorance of God. That is the root problem of the Israelites. And it's easy to understand. Ignorance of someone always damages your relationship with them and often brings pain. If you want to love someone, if you want to bring happiness to someone, if you want to do what is right for someone, then you need to know that person. This goes very clearly in marriage. If I want to make Jill happy, if I want to help uh, do what is right and, and the things that she likes, then I need to know something of her. I learned this early on in marriage, particularly when it comes to things like even just knowing what food tastes she likes, what she likes to eat and what she really doesn't like to eat. In the first year that we were married, we were invited over to somebody's place for a meal and they rang up earlier that day and Jill was out. I took the phone call and they said... Uh, uh, I know you, you are coming over and we're just checking whether you like beetroot. Is beetroot okay? And I said, yeah, yeah, I don't mind beetroot. I really like beetroot. That's okay. And yeah, yeah, we eat anything. Jill will be okay with it too. And, uh, and so uh, I hung up the phone and Jill came home a couple of hours later and, uh, and I said, oh, they rang and said, do you like beetroot? And I said, of course we do. And Jill said, I really don't like beetroot at all. I said, oh, no. And it was a few hours later, so what are you going to do? Call them up and say, uh, can you change the menu at the last minute? And, uh, and so I said, oh, I'd probably just be on the side or something. Anyway, we get there, and it's a beetroot risotto, which uh, means beetroot juice is all throughout the rice. And so there was no way of avoiding beetroot in the meal because it was basically throughout the entire meal. And I learned very early on then to make sure I know what Jill likes because it was not a pleasant experience for her and it wasn't that a pleasant experience for me either, uh, knowing that I'd accepted something that Jill was not, uh, that she didn't like. And even this week, I learned yet another food that she doesn't like. And I was like, oh, I'll have to remember to put that one away and remember it for the future. So I recognise that if I want to make Jill happy then I need to know her. I need knowledge of her. I need understanding of who she is. And this is the warning that is given to us this morning. Hosea has a stern warning for us that if you ignore God, it is at your peril. It is at great danger that you ignore God because ignoring God is far greater than ignoring your wife's tastes in food. Ignoring God brings great wrath, great judgment upon you. Before you know it, if you ignore God, before you know it, he will be like a moth eating away at your life. If you ignore God, before you know it, he'll be like rot eating away at everything good in your life. If you ignore God, before you know it, he will be like the lion that is described in verse 14, where he says, For I will be like a lion to Ephraim, like a great lion to Judah. I will tear them to pieces and go away. I will carry them off with no one to rescue them. That will be you if you ignore God, if you do not seek an understanding of who God is and what he would have you do. 
And so the greatest danger in Australia, greatest danger in the world, but we're often focused on our own country, the greatest danger in Australia isn't terrorism, it isn't global warming, it isn't the government, what you think of them, whether Labor or Liberal, it isn't housing prices, it isn't crime, it isn't drought if you're out in a country area, it isn't disease, different infections that we may face here in Australia. They are indeed great dangers. It isn't even the wildlife that we are known for in Australia that are known to be quite dangerous, whether it be saltwater crocodiles or poisonous snakes or funnel-web spiders. They're not the greatest dangers in Australia. What is the greatest danger that Australians face? It is ignorance of God. It is not acknowledging their creator. It is not seeking understanding of the one who reigns supreme, who is the king of kings and will one day judge the whole earth. That is the great danger that Australians face. So how do you gain knowledge of God? How do we escape the great danger that we face in this world? Well, it's by listening to God. If you want to know someone, you must hear from them directly. You can hear from other sources. You may hear from me about what my wife likes to eat, but it's not necessarily the most reliable of sources. If you want to know exactly something about somebody, if you want to know something about my wife, Jill, the best place to go is to go to her direct and hear from her own mouth what she has to say about herself. And so when you want to know about God, when you want to understand who he is and what he would have you do, you need to listen to him directly. And thankfully, he has spoken to us directly. And it's in this book that is before us this morning. It is in the Bible, where we have 66 books God given to us so that we can understand him, so that we can have knowledge of him, so that we will not be led astray, but instead we will please him and not face his wrath. So if you want to know God, you need to read his word. And in his word, he's very clear that the way to really know him is through his son, Jesus Christ, who is the word become flesh. If you want to know God apart from Jesus Christ, you won't learn much about him. If you want to truly know God, then you must Come to him through Jesus Christ. The whole of the Bible points to Jesus as the way to please God because Jesus is the only one who has ever pleased God completely. And so if you are to please God and to escape his wrath, then you must become a part of Jesus Christ and that happens by faith in him. And so I encourage you, if you're here this morning and you do not believe in Jesus Christ, stop playing around with one who can be a moth who can be rot, who can be a lion and tear you apart one day. Instead, begin to listen to him and trust in Jesus Christ now. Become a part of the kingdom of God by trusting in the Son, by listening to God and looking to the Son for eternal life. And if you are a Christian and you're here this morning, there's a big warning for you from these passages as well, from these chapters of chapter 4 and chapter 5 of Hosea. The warning here for us, I think, this morning, a big warning for us, 
is to beware of false teachers. To beware of false teachers, the dangers of those who would teach falsely. Because that is one of the big problems that's isolated in these two chapters. Israel suffered God's wrath. Why? Because of the absolute failure of their leaders to teach the knowledge of God. Because that is who is meant to be teaching the people about God so that they would know how to please God and so that they would not be judged by God. Yet we see again and again that the teachers of Israel failed. The prophets and priests stumbled. We see that in verse 5 and through to verse 9 of chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 5, it says, You stumble day and night, and the prophets stumble with you. The prophets failed the people. The prophets are the ones that are meant to speak about God, but they failed the people. They stumbled with them. So I will destroy your mother. It reads on in verse 6, My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priests. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I will also ignore your children. Prophets were isolated in verse 5, but then who's isolated in verse 6? It's the priests. And why are the priests isolated out as being a problem? Because they have ignored the law of their God. The law of God was knowledge of God. And yet the priests were ignoring God's word. And then we see they continue to get condemned. In verse 7 and following it says, The more the priests increase, the more they sinned against me. They exchange their glory for something disgraceful. They feed on the sins of my people and relish their wickedness and will be like people like priests. I will punish them, both of them, for their ways and repay them for their deeds. The priests failed the Israelites. And judgment came upon all of them. And then we also see that the kings failed their responsibility as well. Who are the leaders of Israel? Well, there's prophets, there's priests, and there's kings. And the kings were meant to be people who made sure that the Israelites were following God as well. They were given great responsibility to make sure that Israel was faithful to God. And what do we read in verse 1 of chapter 5? Turn with me now, chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Hear this, you priests. Pay attention, you Israelites. Listen, O royal house, royal house. The house of the king. This judgment is against you. You have been a snare at Mitzpah, a net spread out on Tabor. The royal house is being condemned here as well. And we see in verse 10. Verse 10, it says, Judah's leaders, their princes, is another way you could translate the word leader there. They are like those who move boundary stones. I will pour out my wrath on them like a flood of water. The leaders of Israel failed miserably. Kings, priests, and prophets, they all failed to teach the Israelites about God. And so the people were ignorant of God. And so the people sinned against God. And so the people faced God's judgment. And so we must take stern warning from this fact. If the leaders of the church church do not teach knowledge of God from the scriptures, direct from his mouth... Disaster results. It's always been that way through history. If the leaders of God's people are not teaching as they should, disaster comes on everyone. And so you must make sure that you support leaders who teach you about God. About God. Not about their own lives, not about the things of this world, the the news, the latest events. They teach you about God, from the word of God, which is the source of true knowledge of God. And you need to do it for your own sake. 
You need to be taught from the scriptures about God so that you will know how to live rightly for God so that he will be pleased with you and not discipline you in his wrath. And you also need to make sure that leaders teach rightly about God so that those around you, so that others have knowledge of him as well. For the sake of others, you need to make sure that the leaders are teaching rightly, particularly unbelievers who may be amongst God's people from time to time who have no idea about God. They don't know anything about him. And they may walk in and then the leader stands up and teaches something that is false about God. That is your responsibility when that happens. Or weak Christians who don't know how to discern truth from error, you need to make sure that what is coming from the pulpit is indeed about God for such people and for children who may be amongst you, who can't discern, who are still learning, who are new to this world. They need to know about God and it needs to come from church leaders as well. They need to hear about God through them. So how do you support leaders so that they teach the true knowledge of God? Well, you need to protect this pulpit. If you're a member of this church or someone who attends regularly, I love that you protected this pulpit in the past, that the knowledge of God has been proclaimed from here for decades. But you must be vigilant. You cannot be complacent about this matter. It must be that the knowledge of God is always taught in this building. Because if it doesn't get taught here, if God is not taught, if he is not taught amongst us, then disaster can result. So you must always seek to have elders, leaders of this church, who are people who teach about God. Don't elect elders who are good businessmen. That's the main reason you put them into office, because they can manage the books well. Or they're just nice guys. You really like him. So, of course, he can be a leader of the church. Or they may be just good at making coffee. They're very good at hospitality. And you like the way that man makes coffee and it'd be good to put him in a position of leadership so he can make sure that we get a proper barista-made coffee here on Sundays, that we can buy a full machine. And so we have good coffee at church because that's what the church should be about. That's what we'll bring people in is if we have good coffee at our church. You may smile. Some of you may actually think it's a good idea. But I actually hear this regularly from other pastors about the importance of having barista-made coffee at their church. It happens all the time. Just two weeks ago, two pastors telling me, we need barista-made coffee at our church. I can't work out how to get the members to approve it. It's a common thing here in Sydney, particularly the inner west. I don't know if it's just peculiar to the inner west, but that's not the first time I've heard it. I've heard it multiple times. And that's what some people are looking for in a leader. But that's not what the scriptures tell you to look for in a leader. You need a leader who teaches knowledge of God. Because if you don't have a leader who teaches you knowledge of God, you won't be getting coffee or anything for the rest of eternity. There's no barista made in coffee in hell. There's no instant coffee in hell, I'm sure, either. Though some people might like to condemn instant coffee to hell. But the good things in this world are removed. You need knowledge of God to be proclaimed by your leaders. And so if you want to take warning from Hosea chapter 4 and 5 this morning, take the warning that you need to watch over who is leading your church and that they are teaching knowledge of God. Also, another way that you can watch out for the leaders of the church of Christ is by watching out who you support as missionaries 
in other parts of the world. Because there are many people who go out in the name of God to dark lands and they're actually abominable in what they teach. It's happened again and again over the centuries that people are sent out to teach others about God and they deny the very God who made them. They deny the scriptures and they go into these lands and teach other things. They teach it's okay to worship Allah at the same time as worshipping God. It's okay to worship your idols at the same time as worshipping God, which is a complete denial of what the scriptures proclaim. And so you need to be vigilant as members of this church. Who are we sending to be leaders of churches in other areas, to train pastors in other lands? Because we and I'm very encouraged by it, do have a fairly strong missionary budget at our church. We support a number of different missionaries, and I'm greatly encouraged by that. But you must be vigilant as well to make sure that you know what your missionaries are up to. The elders make a recommendation as to who we think we should support, but at the end of the day, the final decision is made by you. And so you should be reading their newsletters. Not just to pray about them, but also see what they're up to. See the kinds of things that they're speaking about. To see whether they are people who are teaching knowledge of God. Even hear them speak. We have one coming tonight who we're thinking of supporting. I encourage you, come back tonight and hear what he's got to say. Because you will be responsible if he goes over to another country and shares something other than knowledge of God through Jesus Christ by the scriptures. You have great responsibility because what will happen to that land if you send missionaries over again and again, more and more of them, who do not teach knowledge of God, what will happen to that land? The judgment of God. God did it before with Israel. He brings judgment on lands where leaders do not teach knowledge of him and where the people are led astray. So do you realise what disaster ignorance of God brings? How terrible it is to lack understanding of God, that it will lead you to sin and to God's wrath. And do you understand how dangerous it is to support leaders of churches who teach something other than God, who teach about their little interests, their visions for the suburb, for Australia, their political views, their interest in poetry, or whatever else it may be. Do you realise how dangerous that is for you and for others who may be amongst us and for the nation as a whole? And so do you seek to make sure that leaders that you have some control of are always teaching true knowledge of God through Jesus Christ? Let's come before God in prayer. Let's speak to him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word from the prophet Hosea. Lord, we realise that not much has changed over the centuries, over the millennia, that we are still a fickle people and we still recognise that we are so far ignorant of yourself. But Lord, we thank you that you have revealed something of yourself to us we thank you that you revealed Jesus Christ to us, that in him we can know God. And so, Lord, we thank you for the knowledge that we do have of you. But Lord, we pray that you would increase our knowledge so that we know how to please you, so that we are kept from sin and so kept from
from your discipline. And Lord, we pray for anyone in this room who does not know you at all, who has never come to you through Christ. Oh, Lord, open their eyes now to see yourself clearly and see the judgment that comes upon them if they do not turn to you. So, Lord, we pray that you would bring people to trust in you even now. And, Lord, we do also pray that you would help us to make sure that the leaders we are responsible for are speaking about you, that are seeking to make you known and not some other God, some false God. Lord, we pray that this pulpit may always be one that proclaims true knowledge of God until Jesus Christ returns. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.